Well, church, it's so good to worship you this morning on this Resurrection Sunday. What a wonderful thing to be reminded that our God, our Lord Jesus Christ, isn't dead. He is alive. Um, as you came in, I'm sure you got a bulletin. We also have uh, a picture uh, with a little pamphlet. And if you didn't get one of these, we'd encourage you to grab one. We have a painting in the lobby there, and one of our members here, our brothers in Christ, he painted that for us, and it paints a picture of inside of the tomb, and it paints what looks out. And so if you uh, take one of those pamphlets, there's actually 10 things in that picture that you can kind of take a look at and consider and see what Scripture has to say about it. And so we would encourage you to take one of these home and maybe even read through it when you have an opportunity. As we have the opportunity this morning to continue to worship in the Word this morning, let's, let's bow in prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you that uh, we serve not a dead Christ, but a risen Christ, a living Christ. And Father, as we lift our, pray, our, our, our voices in praise, we know it's lifted up to one who is alive. As we pray to you, we're reminded that we're praying to, to, to the one who reigns and rules. And Father, as we now come to, to, to your word and come under the instruction of it, Lord, we pray that you would go before us that your word would be a light into our feet and a lamp into our path, that it would guide and direct us. I pray, Father, for our hearts, that they would be softened in this moment, that you would allow the hardness or, or anything that would hinder your word from, from taking root and bearing fruit unto righteousness, that you would take all that away so that we can stay focused on you and what you have for us today. And so, Lord, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And who we are not in Christ, we ask that you'd make us. So we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Lee Strobel, in his book, A Case for Hope, writes of a man by the name of Major Harold Kushner, who was a prisoner of the Viet Cong for over five years. Uh, Kushner describes one of his fellow American prisoners as a, a tough 24-year-old Marine who had made a deal with their captors. The Marine agreed to cooperate with the enemy and in return the commander of the prison camp promised he would let him go. The young Marine did whatever he was asked. He became a model prisoner and even became a leader of the camp's thought reform group. But before long it became clear to him that the camp commander had lied and that the Viet Cong had no intention of actually releasing him. This is how Major Kushner described what happened next to the Marine. When the full realization of this took hold, he became a zombie. He refused to do all the work and rejected all offerings of food and encouragement. He simply lay on his cot, sucking his thumb. In a matter of weeks, this man was dead. The cause of his death can be summed up in one word, hopelessness. It's been said that on average, people can live about 40 days without food. Give or take, uh, four days without water, uh, four minutes without air, but only seconds without hope. Hopelessness can literally kill you. But this morning, I have an assignment to declare to you that as believers and as Christians, our living hope, our eternal hope, and our only hope is in Jesus Christ, our risen Savior and our Lord. And on this Resurrection Sunday, I'd invite you to the letter of 1 Peter, chapter 3. Chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 18 to 22. 
you don't have a Bible with you, we've got Bibles provided in the seat backs of your chairs. If you don't own a Bible, you can feel free to take that one home with you. As you make your way in your Bibles, the subject we're going to take some time to talk about is is the reminder of why Jesus is our only hope, why he's our living hope, and why he is our eternal hope. As you make your way there in your Bibles, the letter of 1 Peter is written to a people who are experiencing the pressures of persecution. They've been experiencing suffering because of the cause for Christ for which they stand for and because of their faith. But in the midst of the pressures of persecution that are growing, Peter writes to them to encourage them and to instruct them, not just how to prepare for more suffering, but how to endure it when it comes. And one of the ways they are encouraged to endure it is to keep their eyes focused on Jesus Christ, to keep their eyes focused on the one who died, who was buried, and who rose again in newness of life, and the one who rules and reigns forevermore. Because what they are reminded of in the text that we're going to read today, and what we are reminded of is regardless of the adversity that they should face or we should face, even pressures of persecution, the end of the story has already been written. And if they're on God's side, as if we're on God's side, we're on the winning side. And so I'd invite you to stand in honor of the reading of the word. We're in the letter of 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 18 as we talk about why we should place our hope in Jesus and continue to do so. Verse 18 reads this way, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, Angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Word of the Lord, y'all may be seated. The presence of God on this resurrection Sunday morning. The subject matter I want to talk on this morning is quite simple. Why should you and I place our hope in Jesus and continue to do so? Why is Jesus our only hope, our living hope and our eternal hope? As we open our text this morning in verse 18, we're reminded because of what Christ accomplished first through his death on the cross for our sins. And what you see in verse 18 is what Christ accomplished through his death is he granted us forgiveness of sins. In verse 18, the reason we should place our hope in Jesus and he is the reason he is our only hope is because of the kind of suffering that he endured. Verse 18 describes his suffering in four ways. First, I'd like to suggest as we open up the text, it describes his suffering as severe. The text begins in verse 18 and it says, For Christ also suffered. The word suffered there is synonymous with the kind of death he died. He suffered an excruciating, painful, humiliating death on the cross for our sins. 
And he experienced not just great suffering on that cross, he gave up his life on our behalf on that cross. And what we're reminded of this morning, the reason he is our only hope is because his suffering was severe. Now this morning, it begs the question for us that we might have to ask the question, why is it that Christ had to suffer such a painful and excruciating death? Why did he have to experience such severe suffering and even die for our sins? You know, if God is sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, couldn't he just from heaven choose to forgive us of our sins and just sweep our sins under the rug and then declare us righteous without him ever coming from heaven to earth, condescending into the incarnation, being born of a virgin in order to die on a cross? Couldn't he just do all that? Well, the reason Christ had to suffer severely is because God is holy and sin is costly. The first reason why Christ had to suffer severely unto death is because God is holy. And as a holy God, we're, not, we're reminded he's not just all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, but he is all-good. He is the measurement and the standard of right and wrong. And a good, holy, just judge can't overlook sin. And Jesus didn't overlook sin, but he paid the debt that we owe he lived a perfect life, meeting the righteous requirements of the law, and died in our place. The substitutionary death, as we're going to talk about it in just a moment. The reason Christ had to suffer severely is because God is holy, but secondly, because sin is costly. Romans 6.23 tells us what sin costs. It says the wages of sin, the consequence of sin, is death. No getting around that. When we're talking about death, we're not just talking about the body being separated from the spirit at death. We're talking not just about physical death, but spiritual death. The consequence of sin is an eternity without God and his people forever and ever. A truly hellish existence. And if the wages of sin is death, there's only one person who could pay that debt because he met the perfect righteous requirements of the law and his name is Jesus. Now this morning, there are other alternatives we could turn to. There's no amount of pleading or penance or prayers that could pay for your sins or mine without Christ. There's no amount of wealth. If we took all of the wealth of the world and brought it together that could, that could pay for the debt that one man owes against God for our sin. Not even a lifetime of good deeds is enough to satisfy God's wrath against our sin because in Isaiah 64, our, our good deeds are described as simply filthy rags. So what we're reminded this morning is first, the reason we should put our hope in Jesus is because his suffering was severe. He was the only one who could pay the debt of our sin and he paid it in full. Not only was his suffering severe, his suffering was sufficient. The text goes on to say, for Christ also suffered once for sins. You know what Christ did on that cross? He didn't have to die again for our sins. All our sins, past, present, and future, if you've trusted in Christ as your Savior and Lord, have been paid in full. That's why Jesus... In the Gospel of John, chapter 19, declared, it is finished, to telestide, it means paid in full. In the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, 
What the people would do year after year, they would offer sacrifice after sacrifice. The high priest on the day of atonement would uh, enter into the Holy of Holies and he would, he would offer a sacrifice on behalf of his sins and the sins of the people, but they would do that year after year after year. And it pointed to the sufficient death of Christ on the cross whose blood would cover our sins once and for all. The reason we should place our hope in Jesus, the reason he is our only hope is because his suffering is sufficient. He died for sins once and doesn't need to do so anymore. Not only is his suffering sufficient, but his suffering is substitutionary. Do you know why Jesus had to die on the cross? Not because he deserved it, The reason Christ died on the cross was in order that we might live. He died on the cross in order to take our place. That's what a substitute does. A substitute takes our place. Now, the Bible says all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. We're separated from God because of our sin. In Psalm 51, verse 5, David describes his sin as, as what he was born with. He was born into iniquity with sin in his heart. And that sin expresses itself in all kinds of ugly ways in our attitudes, our actions, and our affections. We've said earlier, the wages of sin is death, but the good news is the gift of God is everlasting life. Jesus went to that cross to take your place and mine. So that if we should place our faith in him, if we should place our trust in him, he would transfer to our account his righteousness, a right standing before God. As we transfer to his account our sin, and it is to tell us die, paid in full, it is finished. Christ is our substitute. That's why he is our only hope. No one else could take your place or my place. He's the sinless savior, the just for the unjust. He died on behalf of our sins. Not only was his Not only was his suffering substitutionary, his suffering was successful. It accomplished the purpose for why he came. Let me read to you verse 18 in full. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, made alive by the Spirit. Why did Christ die? In order to reconcile us who have been far away back with God. There's something that separates us from God when we're born into this world and it's a thing called sin. But that which bridges the gap is Jesus Christ. And Jesus came in order to reconcile us back to God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 reminds us that he, speaking of the Father, made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And as Christ became our substitute, he also became the bridge that reconciles us back to a holy God. Why is Jesus our only hope? Why is Jesus our living hope? And why is Jesus our eternal hope? It's because of what he accomplished through his death on the cross. He died for our sins. His suffering was severe. His suffering was sufficient. His suffering was substitutionary. And his suffering was successful in bringing sinners who were far from God close to him. That's the reason he is your only hope and he is my only hope. He is the only hope for this lost world, lost in darkness. 
This morning, the encouragement for us is this, to abandon all the other alternatives that the world offers. This morning, you and I can turn to alternatives like religion or ritual. Can I tell you this morning, religion and ritual without a relationship is useless. It cannot do anything to bridge the gap between us and God because of sin that has separated us. As I said earlier, no amount of penance, no amount of petition, no amount of prayer, no amount of pleading will be able to pay your debt. You must enter to heaven through Christ and him crucified. Abandon all the alternatives, including religion and ritual. Abandon the alternative of the things the world offers. As we said earlier, no amount of money can buy your way into heaven. (laughs) Whether you have little or much in the bank, you ain't taking any of it with you. There's only one thing that will get you into heaven. It's the riches that you have in Jesus Christ, your Savior and your Lord. And also abandon the alternative of a lifetime of good deeds, thinking that that is what's going to get you into heaven. Our good deeds are like filthy rags. And so if we're going to abandon all of these alternatives that are not enough to pay our debt and to get us into heaven the next step is to admit our need for Jesus. To come before the Lord, and this is what we are reminded of this Resurrection Sunday. That's why he's our only hope to say, Jesus, I know, I know my relationship with you is broken. I know there's something that separates me from you, and I know I need forgiveness of my sin. And then receive Jesus Christ as your Savior And as your Lord, commit to follow him all the days of your life and enjoy the hope that he offers in his name. Now, we're invited this morning not just to place our hope in Jesus, but to continue to do so. This Resurrection Sunday, I don't know what kind of adversities you walked in with. I don't know what pressures you're experiencing in your life or in the world around you. But let me remind you that Jesus is our only hope. Continue to place your hope in Jesus and share him with as many people as you possibly can. He's our living hope. He is our eternal hope. He is our only hope. First, because of what he accomplished through his death. Secondly, in our text, because of the victory he proclaimed. Verses 19 to 20. Now, if we take a look at our text this morning, verse 18 is quite straightforward, pretty easy to understand, pretty easy to interpret. Then you read verses 19 to 20, and the more that you take a look at the text, perhaps for some of you, the more questions you have. (laughs) When I read a text like verses 19 to 20, I describe it as a, a difficult text, a difficult passage. Why are some scriptures more difficult than others? Well, because the more you read them and the more you ask questions like who, what, where, when, why, and make your observations, the more questions you start to have about the text. This morning, before we get into uh, how Christ proclaimed his victory as the triumphant king, I want to take some time first to talk to you about how to study your Bible and get the most out of it. When you come to difficult passages like verses 19 to 20 first, don't skip over the difficult passages. Don't ignore the difficult passages as you're reading God's word. Wrestle with these passages. I had the opportunity to wrestle with this text, and as I've been wrestling with it this morning, I'd invite you to wrestle with it too. The second encouragement I'd give you as you get the most out of your Bibles is as you come to scriptures like this, you know, our first immediate response is to check resources outside of God's word. 
You know, some of us have study Bibles, and with those study Bibles, there are notes on the bottom. Can I encourage you, before you check the notes, before you check the resources outside of God's Word, first go to the resources in God's Word. Take a look at the context of the verse, and of the chapter, and of the book. Then take a look at the context of the whole of Scripture, and can I tell you, that's how you're going to get the most out of God's Word. Can I let you know how I study God's word, whether I'm studying it for a devotional or where I'm, whether I'm preparing for a message on a Wednesday night or on a Sunday morning? I typically take three steps. The first step is I observe the text. Can I tell you this morning, if you're going to be a serious student of the word of God, it takes time and it takes effort, but I'll tell you it's worth it because you, the more you, more you get to know the word, the more you get to know the God of the word. You know, when I was dating my wife, at the time, we were long distance, and so we would send letters to one another. Can I tell you, when I received her letter, I read it, and I studied, and I paid close attention to it because I wanted to get to know her more and more. I wanted more of her. How much more should we take God's word and not get tired of it or, or, or lose our focus on it, but say, God, I want to read more of it, and I want to get to know you more as I read it. This is God's love letter to you and to me. So observation, you, you simply ask, what does the text say? You ask questions like who, what, where, when, why. Observation, that first step is a good encouragement is, is just simply to read through the text and then read it again and again and again. You read it 10 times, 20 times, 30 times, and you start to see the details of the text and, and you start to observe it. That's the first step. The second step is interpretation. Not just what does the text say. The second step is what does the text mean? Now, this is when you and I are tempted, especially when you get to a, a verses like the ones we read in verses 19 to 20, to go ahead and check resources outside of Scripture. Let's see what my study Bible says. Let's see what this commentator has to say. I encourage you, in this moment, wrestle with it. Take a look at the context of the verse, the chapter, and of the book. Take a look at the context of the canon of Scripture. If you're going to use one resource, I'd encourage you to use a concordance. A concordance is, is helpful, and you can find them online for free these days. You don't have to carry these big books around anymore. They're located online for free, and you can look up a word or an idea, a theological truth, and find out where else in Scripture it's listed. And so you use your Scripture as the primary resource. And after you've done interpretation, don't check the other resources yet. The next step is application because all God's word is inspired by him. It's profitable and it's relevant to your life and mine. Say, as I see what the text says and I hear what it means, how does it apply to me? Because it's gonna make a difference in my life. And then, and only then, check your work. Take time to use other resources. Take time to dig into what other commentators have to say. But as you wrestled with the text, that's how you're going to get the most out of the word of God. And so as you wrestle with these difficult passages, and we answer this question this morning, why is Jesus our only hope? Well, because of the victory he proclaims. In verse 19, uh, we get to read about this. But verse, the end of verse 18 helps us fully understand what Jesus is doing in verse 19. At the end of verse 18, it's saying, it says, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. When it says Jesus was put to death in the flesh, it's speaking of the moment when he died on the cross and gave up his spirit and committed his spirit to the Father. That's the moment that he died in the flesh. But then it says, was made alive by the Spirit. 
Now, this could be talking about his resurrection. He was made alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. But when you see verse 18 in the context of verses 19 to 20, it's not speaking necessarily of the Holy Spirit here in his resurrection, but we're talking about his spirit. So the moment when Christ was crucified on that cross and he died in the flesh physically, what happened to Christ between his death on Friday and his resurrection on Sunday morning? Well, our text gives us some hint on what happened in verse 19. It says, in his spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. The question here is, well, what is, what is he talking about? What did he preach and who did he preach to? Well, before we talk about what he preached, let's talk about who he preached to because that's more important. It says, by whom he also preached to the spirits. Who are these spirits? Well, these are probably those who are in the invisible spiritual realm. We're talking about angelic hosts, but these spirits are described as those who are in prison. That means these are not angelic hosts. These are fallen angels. These are demonic spirits. And it says they are in prison. As we read elsewhere in Scripture, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 might inform our study. And uh, my encouragement to you is to write these down so you can wrestle with this text a little later. It says, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the, the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. In Jude 6, it says, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the, for the judgment of the great day. And so who are these spirits? These spirits are those who are in prison. In the next verse, we learn that these were spirits who led the people astray during the days of Noah. If I can continue to read for you in verse 20, it said, who were formerly disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through the water. So there is great evil going on in the, on the earth during this time. And as there is evil going on in the earth at this time, uh, those who are leading people astray are these demonic spirits and what... God does is he brings them down and he imprisons them and they are incarcerated. And in between Jesus' death and his resurrection on Sunday morning, Christ proclaims something to them. Now, the text doesn't tell us exactly what he preaches and exactly what he proclaims, but if these are demonic spirits who have been incarcerated, having lived in the days of Noah, the expectation, the inference for us this morning is he proclaimed his triumphant victory. As the crucified Christ, he declared his victory over sin, over death, and over Satan. You know, that Friday, what we call Good Friday, it looked like a tragedy. But the reality was, three days later, he proved that it was the greatest triumph this world has ever seen. Christ most likely proclaimed his, his, his victory over death. How did he claim victory over death? Well, because death has no power over us anymore. Christ, because he died on the cross in our place, he gives us life eternal in his name. He defeated death. He defeated sin. Sin no longer has, has power over us. It's been rendered inoperative, and we are delivered from it. But also he proclaimed victory over Satan and over the demonic realm. Despite being the crucified Christ, he reigns and rules forevermore. Why should you place your hope in Jesus as your only hope? Because he proclaims victory over sin, death, and 
Satan. This morning, if I could give us a, a couple takeaways, the first one is that you and I would take time to celebrate Christ's victory. On this Resurrection Sunday, we're reminded that Christ not only defeated sin, death, and Satan on the cross, proclaimed it in between his death and resurrection, but, but, but ratified it and validated it three days later when he rose in newness of life. Let's celebrate that victory. Let's celebrate that victory in song. Let's celebrate that victory in worship. Let's celebrate that victory by sharing it with all who would hear it. Not only celebrate Christ's victory, share Christ's victory. Oh, the gospel is good news. Sometimes we lose sight of that. We live in a, a fallen world. There's so much hopelessness that, that is all around us. Tommy Nelson, a pastor outside of uh, Denton, Texas, He's a preacher at Denton Bible Church. One day he shares a story about him going to a prison where he preaches uh, the, the, the gospel to them. And as he stands there on the stage, he tells the people, the inmates there, he said, I didn't come here today to, to walk across this stage. I, I wouldn't have come here today to walk across this stage to simply tell you about a religion. But he said, I'm willing to come here today and walk, a, not just walk across the stage, but I would be willing to crawl across this stage in broken glass to hell and back to tell you about the love of Jesus Christ who died for your sins and rose again in newness of life. His victory is not, worth, not just worth celebrating. His victory is worth sharing and shouting. We talked about it last week. Uh, you really don't know what to live for until you freely find out what you're willing to die for. And when you hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ is not just worth living for, he's worth dying for, and he's worth suffering with. Celebrate his victory, share his victory. Thirdly, the reason why Jesus is our only hope is because in the next verse we see uh, because what have he accomplished through his resurrection? Uh, verse 21 says this, there is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What did Christ accomplish through his resurrection? If I could sum it up and then we'll break down the text for you. Because he lives, we can live as well. Uh, the be beginning of the text says there is also an, an antitype which now saves us. Uh, the word antitype there speaks of, uh, is an Old Testament pattern that foreshadows and illustrates a New Testament truth. And, and what Peter has just alluded to is, is, the, is the flood uh, through which Noah and uh, his family, the total of eight of them, were saved through. And so as he makes this connection, what he's saying here, in the same way that Noah was saved through the flood, so you and I as believers are saved through our union with Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that which baptism symbolizes. And so the text is not saying here that baptism saves you. We know in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, it says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, it's not of yourselves. The gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. When we're talking about this baptism in the same way that Noah was saved through the flood, so you and I as believers are saved through our union with Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And this is the joy that we have because he lives, we live as well. Because he conquered sin, 
we conquer it as well. Because he conquered death, we conquer it as well. We weep when those in Christ die, but not without hope. And because he conquered Satan, we also are conquerors as well. I want you to know this morning, because we're united with Christ in his death and his burial and his resurrection, some people say, well, I now have authority over the demonic realm, and so I bind this spirit, I bind that spirit, I bind this, I bind that. Why do you have to bind anything? You are united with Christ in his death and his burial and his resurrection. Let him do the binding. Let him take care of you. He's going to protect you and provide for you. He's the one who rules and reigns over the invisible spiritual realm that you cannot see. And he's the one who rules and reigns over the physical, visible world that you can see. So whether it's the spiritual, demonic realm or whether it's the things you see in this world, Christ rules and reigns over all. Because he lives, we can live as well. This morning on this Resurrection Sunday, I'd invite you to not just know the promise, but to receive the promise of John chapter 11, verse 25, where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who, believe, he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And he who lives and believes in me shall never die. Because he lives, we live as well. Secondly, this morning, I think of D.L. Moody, who once said this, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher. That is all. Out of the old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. I was born in the flesh in 1837. I was born in the spirit, 1856. That which is of the flesh may die. That which is of the born of the spirit will live forever because he lives, we shall live as well. Why is our only hope in Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord, because of what he accomplished through his resurrection? And if we're united with him in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, because he lives, we live as well. And then lastly, this morning, as we conclude in verse 22, the reason Jesus is our only hope and we should place our hope in him and continue to place our only hope in him is because of what he has accomplished through his ascension. Jesus Christ is the exalted one. We read that in verse, verse 22. It says this, who has gone into heaven, Jesus, in humility, left heaven for earth, condescended into the incarnation, was born in a manger. That's the most humble you can come. The God of the universe was deity wrapped in humanity. He grew up, and then he suffered as a criminal, even though he was sinless. He died on the cross, was in the grave three days, and then three days later on Resurrection Sunday morning, he was raised in newness of life. He, he spent 40 days on the earth, appearing to over 500. And after those 40 days, he ascended to heaven as the exalted one who reigns and rules over all, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. And it says this, angels and authorities and powers have been made subject to him. 
You know, sometimes we, we take a look at, at, at God and then we look at the devil and we say, well, the devil is evil, God is good, and we sometimes see them on the same level of power. The devil is nothing. He's a created being. God is the eternal creator of heaven and earth and everything in it. The devil is a defeated foe. And if we are in Christ, we shall rule and reign with him forever and ever. And this is a helpful reminder for these believers that Peter is writing to who are facing growing pressures of persecution. And this is a helpful reminder to any one of us who may experience adversity or pressures of persecution because we claim the name of Jesus, that no matter what happens to you in this life, no matter what they do to you because of the cause of Christ, the reminder is the end of the script has already been written. I don't know if you read ahead, but if you read ahead all the way to the end, you learn that God is the one who wins. And if you're on his team, you're on the winning team. On this Resurrection Sunday, I want to invite every single one of us to join the winning team. If you are in Christ, doesn't matter how bad things look in this life, no matter how hopeless the world may seem, our only hope is in Jesus, and because of our hope in him, we know that he rules and reigns, and we will rule and reign with him forever. This morning, if you haven't yet trusted in Christ as your Savior and Lord, today is the day of salvation. Don't wait to make that decision. Admit your need for him. Admit your need for forgiveness. Admit that he is the only solution. He's the one who went to the cross to be your substitute. Admit your need for him. Receive that forgiveness and follow him all the days of your life into eternity. You know, some people ask, what's the Christian life like? What's it like to, to, to enter into a relationship with Jesus and continue in that relationship? It's just... Walking with Jesus, just following him. You know, in this life, in this world, there's lots of things that weigh us down. Now, the last time my wife and I, we traveled, uh, as we were heading to the airport, we got three kids, and man, it's a lot to, to travel with a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and an infant. Because not only do you have the littles, you've also got all of the baggage as well. You got the baggage, and you got the strollers, and you even got the car seats. We were traveling with it all. And I tell you, as we're carrying all this baggage and, and heavy things, can I tell you, not on that trip, but a previous trip, we had a, a nice gentleman come up to us. And that gentleman said to us, hey, can I help you with your bags? And I tell you, sometimes you're like, don't worry, man, I can do it myself. Like, what are you talking about? It's clearly I could not, right? <laughs> sometimes you want to make sure you can trust the guy. You don't know if he's going to run away with your baggage. But as he comes up, he says, hey, can I help you with your bags? And and I said, in humility, okay, go ahead and help me with my bags. And, and what we got to do is we got to walk together and walk out of that airport, and he helped us along the way. You know, in scriptures, in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is speaking to a people there who who are carrying the heavy baggage of the legalistic rules that the Pharisees have placed on their shoulders. These are individuals who are being told that if you want to earn God's favor, you, 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 or if you want to be in God's favor, you have to earn your way to it. What we're reminded is Jesus says, let me carry your bags for you. That's what the Christian life is all about. 
This morning, I want to invite you, if you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior and Lord, and you're carrying your own bag, trying to earn your way into heaven by your good deeds, uh, trying to get into heaven by religion or ritual, abandon those things and allow Christ to carry the weight. He died on the cross for your sins. That's the only thing that could satisfy his wrath against your sin and my sin. Let him carry your bags. And if you're a believer this morning, some of us sometimes we think that after we become a believer, we have to carry our bags around. You don't have to carry it anymore. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. And so this morning, I want to invite you to follow Jesus. Experience the joy of following him and experience the joy of having the only hope that is in him, a living hope, an eternal hope that you will rule and reign with Christ now and forever. Can we bow in prayer this morning? If you're here this morning and you would say, I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never received him into my heart and into my life. But you would say this morning, I want to do just that. I want to give him my baggage. I don't want to live for myself anymore. I don't want to try to pursue good deeds to get into his favor. But I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to invite you to say this prayer and to give your life to Jesus in this moment with me. Father, I come before you And I know that sin separates me from you. I know that I have a broken relationship with you. But I also know that that's why Jesus came to die on a cross. He came to die on a cross to take my place, to forgive my sins, and to bridge the gap between me and you. Father in heaven, this morning... I confess Jesus Christ as my Savior, the one who will forgive my sins. He's my Lord. I'm going to follow him all the days of my life into eternity. I'm going to follow him. I'm not going to look back. I'm going to enjoy the blessed life in him. Father, I pray this morning for every single one of us that we would place our hope in you and that we would continue to do just that. Father, for anyone who's been carrying the weight of their own sin or carrying the weight of the adversities and hardships that are present in this life and in this world, I pray, Father, that we can all surrender it to you in this moment as we are reminded that you are our God and you care for us and you love us. Father, we thank you for our time together. We pray it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.